Most of the time that I was away this week, thank you for that, it was so wonderful. Most of the time that I was away, I didn't listen to the news. I listened to music or podcasts or more often nothing, especially nothing as I walked around the woods of northern Michigan. And then on Wednesday, I tuned in and I was surprised, although I shouldn't have been, I was surprised to hear that the previously general talk of what ifs had escalated. What if election results aren't clear on Tuesday night? They won't be as we all now know. What if poll watchers try to intimidate voters? What if he wins the popular vote but loses the electoral college? What if he loses but refuses to leave? What if things get violent? By the time I turned the radio on, the talk of what if had taken on a more specific shape. People making plans, unlawful militias, pacifists identifying their affinity groups with whom they'll take to the streets in case of a coup, people buying guns who never thought they would. I heard one man talk about his husband who had gone a little bit overboard in purchasing hundreds of rounds of ammunition, although he said he would have felt okay with, you know, like 75 rounds of ammunition. They keep the bullets in a shoebox. I texted my Chicago family, one of whom I'd spent the weekend with, my pod members with whom I have Sunday night dinner. Are we supposed to be organizing, I texted? And if so, like, what do we call ourselves? A family unit, nonviolent militia? There was, on the text thread, sort of weak laughter. They seem mostly to agree the rhetoric has ramped up. This is, to understate it, an anxious time. I am so grateful to gather with you in the midst of it, even like this, week in and week out. It centers me. It orders my week, the work that needs doing, the work I love and the work I only tolerate doing. It gives meaning to my days. It's work that demands my attention and by demanding, settles me, grounds me, locates me, locates me right here, even when I'm working from home, even when I preach from home. Bethany UCC. I mean, what are the chances that we would have ended up a people together, our lives joined together? Bethany is now one of the places I belong. It's one of the places I will forever be from. There was an intractable problem in the early church, a problem of integration and bone-deep division that went way beyond seeing things differently. The problem was a question of how people so deeply divided could ever be one people, of how people with completely different worldviews could ever be one people, people with different practices and priorities, different understanding even of what constituted goodness people who heard the gospel and were moved by it, but for whom it cannot have meant the same thing. They were coming from such different places. The problem in the early church was so intractable that it caused a split among early leadership, and I mean very early leadership, like some of the people who had been on the ground with Jesus, Paul and Barnabas, who had been traveling all over the Mediterranean, they headed back to Jerusalem to meet with some of the apostles, including Peter and James, 
And the question before them all, the intractable problem, was how to be church together with people who were Jews and people who were not Jews, people who had long been part of God's covenant and people who were understood to be newcomers outside the covenant. And even after that council in Jerusalem came together, even after the council wrote a formal letter outlining their decision, if you can imagine it, there was still division and disagreement. So it was still an issue later in that century when Paul, or whoever, wrote this letter to the Ephesians. That letter that Bethany read part of addresses it, that intractable problem. Listen, it says, you were two distinct groups. It's true. The lines of division were hard and clear. Some of you were considered outsiders and aliens and foreigners and strangers. But in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus came and proclaimed peace to those who were far off and those who were near and now you're, you're citizens with the saints. And it's you, the, the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of those who came before you, with Jesus as the cornerstone. It's you who are a dwelling place for God. I love this image so much. I have for so long the idea that God makes of us disparate people, disparate peoples, a unified dwelling for God. I love that this is one of the things it means in Revelation where it says that the dwelling place of God is now among mortals. We come together, our, our lives intersect, and, and that's where God is, right there. People whose paths led for generations or, or just for a morning to one place where we pray together and bear our griefs and sorrows together and work alongside each other and yeah, have conflict with each other and hammer it out, don't. I love that this, right now, that this is the particular shape of the house of God. I love, too, that when we are joined together, we're a dwelling place not only for, a God, for God, but also a shelter for each other. In a time of fear and great intractable division. We can be a shelter for one another. Our life together can be grounding. The work that we take up and turn our attention to can be demanding in a way that is steadying. Deciding how to give and spend money, getting Wi-Fi upgrades for the sanctuary, or for refugees who are new in Chicago, putting time into our relationships and to making meals for the crib, grieving with each other, rejoicing with each other. The dream that God gave our ancestors for Bethany, it's taken on this specific shape. The dream God is giving us now, I mean, it'll only take on a more specific shape in the future for those who come after us in ways that we can't even imagine. I mean, truly. And all of us, the saints who we are acutely aware of today, and those of us here together on this call, and those who will be Bethany in years to come, we are built spiritually into a dwelling place for God. We can take shelter in that. And that shelter, that peace, it's not only for us, those who find our lives joined together by having passed through the intersection of Paulina and Cullum in one way or another. 
the peace, gulp, is for all people a thing that is easy and regular to say, but all people who include right now, even as I'm preaching, people who I picture on the other side of a dividing wall. People who I can picture storing ammo in shoeboxes, or preparing for a coup, or trying to run a campaign bus off the road while flying Confederate flags. Those people, those people who are so far off are God's people too. And God's desire and goal and method in the midst of this increasingly anxious, violent, unsettled time is peace. God's desire and goal and method is peace. The wall that I feel between me and the delightful young woman I heard say that she is just so excited to cast her first vote for President Trump. God's desire and goal and method of breaking down the wall I feel between her and me is peace. The arch-conservative evangelical who came out saying that he can't vote for Trump, but he can't vote for the other evil in front of him either. The wall that I feel between him and me, all the damage that guy has done in the world, God's desire and goal and method for breaking down that wall is peace. To me, on my side of the wall, so far off myself from the covenant of promise churning in my anxiety, Jesus comes and proclaims peace. And I don't know, friends, I don't know what it means. But some of the good news is that it's not mine to know. It is Jesus in whom the structure is joined together. It's Jesus who sees the specific shape of the house of God. It's Jesus, in Jesus, that we are gathered up, set straight and plumb, living stones, steadied and grounded and built spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Some of the good news is that it happens here, just like this, in the shape of this house, in the shape of this gathering. Not the building, but Bethany itself, y'all. The warm stones laid by our ancestors. The warm stones laid by one and a quarter centuries of conversations and potlucks and beer on the steps and Halloweens celebrated or snowed out. The warm stones set in place by a congregation that is living through the second pandemic of its lifetime. Bethany already made it through one. The breathing stones set in place by money raised and money given away. Some of the good news is that the house that Bethany built is building, will build, that it's God's house. I mean, I know you know. But doesn't it take some of the pressure off and allow us to, sure, ask all the questions. Did we turn down the thermometer? Is the building settling? Are we taking care of what's been given to us? Are we taking care of each other and neighbors? Ask all the questions. But it allows us, too, to remember the coziness and the courage of the place. A place that we will now, wherever we travel, forever be from.